chick flicks, romantic comedies, rom-coms. You love them, you hate them, but we're here to eviscerate them. Welcome to the Rom-Com Killjoys podcast. I'm your host, Janelle Walker. Now, let's get on with some feminist joy killing. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Somehow, it has been both approximately 30 seconds and several centuries since we first started this podcast. And yet somehow, the wheel of time keeps turning and turning and turning in a manner to which we become accustomed in the year 2020. All of this to say that this episode, our 26th, is going to be the last in our first season as a podcast. Uh, It's been a wild journey. Uh, We're going to take a break for the month of September, and we'll be back with you in October with some new ideas, some fresh perspectives, and as always, some hot takes served ice cold. Uh, But for now, as we wrap up the season, we're going to do it in a slightly unexpected way, Uh, taking on a film that I did not expect us to cover early days of this podcast, but here we are. And uh, no one is better suited to covering this unconventional movie with me uh, at the end of this season than the person who unconventionally started this season with me. Uh, Welcome back, Eliza. Hey, Janelle, and hey to everyone who's listening. Eliza... Um, what is the movie that we're doing this week? And also, how did we come to do it? Well, uh, as anyone who's been listening knows, we've been covering high school rom-coms this past month. And we thought, what better way to round out the month and the full season than by basically covering them all at once by doing not another teen movie. Yes, Yes, by God, we heard you. We heard you people on social media who requested that we do this movie and, and we live to serve. So here it is. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting discussion, I think. I hope. I pray. Covering this shitty, shitty movie. Uh, we're going to get into that. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go with our Google summary. Here it is. Not Another Teen Movie, The Year of Our Lord, 2001. Not Another Teen Movie shows no mercy as it skewers the conventions and cliches of the genre you hate to love. Join Janie Briggs, Skylar Lee, an aspiring artist who is outcast by her classmates for wearing glasses, a ponytail, and paint-covered overalls, and Jake Weiler, played by a young Chris Evans, the all-American football star who makes a foolish bet to turn Janie into a prom queen in a risque romp with an assortment of twisted takes on classic teen characters and teen movies. Oh, God. Well, Eliza, that's what Google says, but we know better. What is this movie really about? Look, first and foremost, this movie is about making you laugh. Whether it does that or not is another question, but that's certainly its goal. I would say that this is basically, it it is brilliant, lighthearted parody, but that part is almost completely overshadowed by gratuitous toilet humor and about a hundred pounds of cringe. Yeah, I, I, it really does strike me how outdated this film feels, even though it's mm. 19 years old, mostly in the fact that the kind of humor that's popular now is a lot more absurd, surreal. Um, it's a lot more punch up kind of humor. And this, this, the humor on display here is very much of its time in the sense that it's a lot of body 
uh, humor, a lot of uh, kind of identity politics humor, a lot of no homo jokes that frankly in 2020 don't even really prompt you to laugh. Right. It's not even awkward laughter. Like, oh, that was kind of weird, but it was funny. You're just like, that wasn't like a well-crafted joke, which is especially surprising in a movie where there are actually a lot of very well-crafted jokes hidden in and amongst the like 14-year-old boy masturbation and poop humor. Right. I, I think that I want to start there. And that is the intentions of this film, because I believe and I, I was trying to do a little bit of digging into this and it was a little unclear to me how the timing worked on this. But I believe that this was either the first. No, it was it was the second kind of genre parody film that was so popular at that time. It was the second one that came out after Scary Movie. Yes. So, Scary Movie did it first. And I still think most people would argue and I think they'd be correct that Scary Movie did it best. The first scary movie is really funny, partly because it's well-written, partly because Anna Ferris is really good in it. Um, all of the other scary movies are a completely different beast, and I don't want to get into that. But the first one's really good quality, and it was successful. So then there's a whole ton of movies that try to do it after it. This is the first copycat, and I think this one's still relatively successful at what it's trying to do, but it begins the downward spiral. Yeah, and I actually, uh, because I'm the worst, I decided to do some research to support the episode on this terrible movie <laughs> that's only intention is to make you laugh because I'm an academic and I'm the worst. Um, so I, I actually, to that point, Eliza, I, I, read, I read up on this book called A Theory of Parody, The Teachings of 20th Century Art Forms by Linda Hutchin. And one of the things that she writes about in her theorizing about what parody is supposed to do is that it emerges in culture when we're finished with a genre or with an idea or a trope. Like, mm. we are only ready to parody something when it has been played out to the point that we kind of have, we kind of hate it. Um, and, and what's interesting, too, that she says, and I'll quote her here, is that parody, uh, the character, the central characteristic of parody is ironic inversion, which is doing mm. the thing that the genre or the trope or the character does, but like taking a spin on it. Um, but she also says, very interestingly, quote, criticism need not be present in the form of ridiculing laughter for this to be called parody. And I think I want to dig into that, how these films are, are parodies, but they're not necessarily critical, per se, of the mm. films that they're parodying. I think Not Another Teen Movie still exists too much within its drama to be truly critical of itself. However, I don't think that the genre it exists in is necessarily rom-com so much as high school romp, which I know seems like those are probably the same thing. And I think generally they interact and they overlap. But this is a 90s coming of age physical humor movie more than it is about the love story. And in order to be that kind of a movie and really lean into that kind of humor, you really can't be critical of it because it's still got to be there and it is in droves. Yeah, I, I think that that point about the kind of humor operating in here is really interesting, especially because, as you said, this, there's kind of two genres being parodied here. There's the high school romp, like you said, and the high school rom-com. Now, mm -hmm. what I noticed in this film that I hadn't noticed before, but that is really interesting, is that the high school romp tends to focus on a male, a young man, and the rom-com tends to focus on a young woman. 
Mm-hmm. That reads definitely with all the stuff that we've been talking about. Absolutely. And I think the kind of humor that injects itself into this movie definitely comes from the romp and not from the calm part of the rom-com. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's an interesting thing we're thinking about. Yeah, that's definitely true. Because the humor in this is more of your American pies, your road trip and Euro trip, your Van Wilders, your National Lampoons, right? Like that's where the humor side of this is coming from. The plot structure is still more or less the rom-com side of it. That comes from, you know, obviously most uh, most clearly that comes from... Um, She's All That. Thank you. <laughs> obviously most clearly that comes from She's All That, but you also get your bring it ons and you know and all that kind of stuff sort of structures the plot but the the jokes and the humor are coming from that other side of it that has nothing to do with the romance and everything to do with the disgustingness of teenage boys (laughs) um i think i think now i'm curious about what you were saying before about some of the jokes in this movie being genuinely quite good and quite incisive and i'm curious about what jokes stood out to you um, well, I mean, I personally love parody. That's it's that's one of the types of humor that I really jive with. And there are some moments of this that are really funny in that kind of way. Even from the start, you know, they start at the, the first day of orientation. And it's subtle, you can miss it. But as they're walking in, there's a big sign in front of the high school that says John Hughes High, which first of all is obviously a direct reference to John Hughes and those 80s movies. And then it's got the schedule for the week, which reads out Monday, orientation. Thursday, Preston's party. Friday, football game. Saturday, prom. <laughs> Which is the plot of the movie, right? Like, those are, like, the four main things that happen. There's the first day where you meet everyone. Then they, like, go to this big party. Then there's a football game. And then they have prom, and that's the end of the movie. And while that sign is hanging overhead, you get Ted Mosby uh, welcoming everyone to the school and doing his whole shtick about this is a high school where we don't have cliques and you're valued for who you are. All right, I'm going to separate you out into some small groups to make this easier. You jocks go over there. You slutty girls stand here and nerds hang out in the back. And like, that's a funny joke, you know, because you know exactly what's going to happen. It's not so clever that it's shocking to you, but it is more blandly stated than you would ever get in a movie, even though those movies all have those kind of moments. And so to just state it out loud like that is genuinely funny and is obviously telling you from the start, this is a self-aware movie. And so those kind of jokes are great, but they're so, I just kept feeling like they were overshadowed by things in a way that made you kind of wonder if the writers sort of accidentally stumbled backwards into them rather than really writing them on purpose. Oh, like what, for example? Like, okay, so the their team is called the Wasps, which is clearly a joke on the fact that they're this very white school. But, like, you that joke is not strong enough or funny enough to carry over all of the other stupid jokes that are happening at the same time. And so, you know, there's these little moments, but it's almost like maybe there was one writer in the corner, like, writing in all of the smart jokes. Well, all the other writers were like, but then what if the naked girl walked through the scene again? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's really if you actually sat down and did like an anthropologist diagram of the kind of jokes in this movie, it is interesting how you could break them down into jokes that are critical of the genres, jokes that are kind of critical of the characters, and then jokes that are uh, just like basically non sequitur like sex or like body 
uh, what's the word I want to use here? Like mm. poop humor. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing I'm delicately trying to avoid. But bodily function oriented. Bodily comedy. function. That's what I'm thinking of. But yeah, so it's it is. I think you're right that those that so because there's so much of that bodily function humor and the jokes at the characters' expenses. Um, we oftentimes lose what are, as you said, like some genuinely good criticisms of these movies, like calling the cheerleading team wasps is funny because it's a parody of bring it on, uh, where the cheerleading team steals the routine of the predominantly black school. And that's a really interesting and good moment where you feel like the film is being critical in its parody. But there's also the moment where you have one of the sort of geek characters doing yellow face, essentially, mm-hmm. as a way that we can assume is a trying to trying to be a callback or a kind of like reconciliation with 16 Candles, except for that it's simply doing exactly what 16 Candles did, but with a white actor. Yeah. You know, I kept thinking throughout this movie, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. There's The question that kept popping into my mind was, does... Parody excuse offensiveness. And I mean, the, the, the short answer, I think, is no. But there's a longer conversation to be had there. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it, because this movie straddles that line a lot. Yeah, I think this movie, the philosophy of this movie is certainly that you can't reasonably be offended by a parody because parodies are searching out the absolute extreme, uh, like, limit of an idea or a joke so for example there is a scene where uh, a character is like having diarrhea and she can't just like have diarrhea she has to have explosive diarrhea and then fall through the ceiling and cover the entire classroom in human excrement right like it can't be a small joke it has to be a huge joke so yeah i i think that this movie in order to exist needs to believe that it that offense is not something you can have with parody But I actually think that it's kind of feeling of being out of date now actually shows that you can have parody without offense. I think you Mm -hmm. can be you can be critical of something. And actually, I think that one of the like super intellectual questions you could ask about this movie is the difference between parody and satire. And I think Mm. this movie firmly sits in the parody camp, although some of its jokes are satirical, like the wasps. What, from your academic standpoint, would you say is the difference between parody and satire? So I was doing some research on this because I haven't done a lot of research into the history of comedy. And we're getting into some deep, deep theater and literary history theory, y'all. Get ready. Give it to me, Joe. Here we go. So uh, according to the great uh, Western philosophers, there are three kinds of satire. There's... um, the Horatian, which is the kind of like lighthearted satire. So it's like poking fun at people's behavior, but it's not really trying to destroy it or to stop mm-hmm. it from happening. Then there's the Juvenalian uh, satire, which is a lot more contemptuous and abrasive and is actually trying to stop that behavior and those ideas from happening. And then finally, you have what's called the Manipian satire which is less focused on specific things and more about like broad cultural ideas so that's not Mm. super helpful but i think what's interesting about this movie is that it is generally a parody right it's just doing the teen rom-com slash teen high school romp but uh with extra like extreme toilet humor so in that way it's Mm -hmm. a parody but 
some of the jokes are kind of a juvenilian satire in the sense that they're saying like this is bad on some level like right the call even though they do the callback to 16 candles and long duck dong so horribly with the yellow face they are making an attempt at calling out that character as quite racist at a mm-hmm. time when I don't even know if the discourse around that movie being racist was prominent in a kind of mainstream white conversation. Sure. Well, and I think that this is actually a great example of where the movie falters, because one of the things that it does time and time again is it makes the point it's trying to make or it makes the joke it's trying to make and then it keeps doing it. And the joke's only funny the first time. Right. And so you get this scene where this white kid but who looks like maybe he's a little bit Asian is sort of walking with these two other Asian guys and then he peels off from them and you realize that like they weren't walking with him and he's just being really overtly racist and sort of fake Asian and then these two white guys dressed in more sort of you know stereotypically black outfits start talking in street slang and are like yo that's so whack that he would pretend to be something he's not and that's a funny moment because they're saying like look, here are all of these white kids appropriating other cultures and none of them are seeing that they themselves are doing it. Okay, that's Mm -hmm. fine. I don't personally have a problem with that scene. However, this white kid who's then pretending to be Asian and appropriating these Asian styles and cultures and everything continues to do that for the rest of the movie. And it's no longer parody. It's just now we feel we can get away with having this white kid act Asian and not actually cast an Asian actor or attempt to write this character with more nuance. And so it's, you know, there's this moment of 20 seconds of satire followed by the rest of the movie of bald-faced parody. Yeah, and I think a similar problem happens with the character of Malik, played by Dion Richmond, Mm -hmm. who is, and that is an instance of them, again, acknowledging like, oh yeah, you know, some of these like black friend characters that we've talked about in these movies. I think the line that he says is, don't worry, I'm not going to contribute to the conversation because I'm only here to say, uh whatever like that is whack damn shit um and indeed like throughout the movie that is what he does and there's a moment when they're at the prom where something almost like subversive happens where uh jake says to malik like hey like you know you're a really interesting person and i feel like i've always disregarded you and that's not right and with the implication that it is racist and malik says like oh, thank you. Like, you know, I've really always wanted to have a close relationship to you and talk to you about subject, blah, blah, blah. But then Jake says like, okay, I don't care. I have to leave. And Mm -hmm. so the film film is acknowledging the problem, but it's not trying to solve it. Well, and there's also a funny moment with that where when he gets to the party, Malik runs into another black character, black guy character played by Sean Patrick Thomas, uh, who probably most of you know from Save the Last Dance, although he's in a bunch of things. And they have this brief interaction where he's like, dude, what are you doing here? I'm supposed to be the token black guy here. And Sean Patrick Thomas is like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize. And they hug it out and then he leaves. Which again, like could be a funny moment or could be kind of beating a dead horse. But the interesting thing about that is that that party scene has a bunch of cameos from people who had been in a lot of sort of teen rom-com type movies. And Sean Patrick Thomas is probably the more famous of those two actors at the time. He'd been in a bunch of other things by then. I think like he was in Cruel Intentions and he's in Can't Hardly Wait and a bunch of stuff like that. And so it's, I think, a little bit funnier when that's the cameo, when you're like, of course he's not going to be in this scene long term. Like he's a little too famous to keep hanging around as a partial side character, Mm -hmm. but he came in for this one funny moment. 
But you kind of lose that at this point in time because we don't have that recognition of being in 1999 and knowing those actors in that way. Right. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that maybe it was a little funnier back then when it was a moment of like, oh, he's on the screen. Okay, they made a funny joke. Now he's off the screen. The same way that 10 minutes later you get Melissa Joan Hart showing up for a similar kind of a, you know, brief cameo comic moment. But at this point, it's just two actors who are both black not being allowed to have real characters in the movie. And so it falls very flat. Yeah, and that's what I mean about parody that I think I was really thinking about throughout this movie is that it gives people uh, a really easy road to walk, which is I'm going to acknowledge that I know these things are bad and that they're problematic and that they hurt people, but I'm going to do them anyway. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> like, and it's and I think that another place where that shows up that's really relevant to the the rom coms in particular is with the the female characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're for the most part very one note, which is sort of a strange criticism to levy at this movie because every character <laughs> is one note. Like that is kind of the point, and I think we have to acknowledge that. But still, like they. The, the criticisms of the women are so much stronger than the criticisms of the men. And, you know, there's all these jokes about, like, oh, she's just unattractive because she has glasses, a ponytail, and paint splattered overalls, and that's the only difference. And it's so clear that, like, that's a really stupid reason to find her unattractive. But they hammer that home. And every woman in this movie who's given more than two seconds of screen time is one of the most beautiful people you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And, like comically perfectly beautiful you know tiny tiny waists huge boobs perfect hair makeup perfect like they are all they look like the ideal hooters waitress Mm. and so it's not a commentary on what it's like for women in high school or on the struggles that girls go through or on our perceptions of body image it's a commentary on them wanting a lot of hot chicks in this movie Yeah, exactly. Like, I I kept waiting for a moment. I mean, even when Jake kind of has his sexualizing moment where he comes out in, like, a whipped cream bikini, which is, sidebar, (laughs) like, so hilarious watching this movie in 2020 and being like, oh, my God, it's Chris Evans. Like, what would Chris Evans now say about this movie? Woke Captain America. Captain America, what are you doing? (laughs) That's America's ass, Chris Evans. You can't put a banana in that. Come on. They definitely cast him purely for his abs and that low-down triangle. And I got to say, he's kept that consistent throughout his career. Keeping it tight, Chris Evans. You look good, Chris Evans. Massachusetts' favorite son. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. Um, But yeah, there's there's very little... um, Let me take this to where I want to talk about. One of the pleasant surprises of this movie is that it does give these girls, these high school girls back an actual sense of like sexuality that most of these teen rom-coms do not. Like most of these teen rom-coms say that girls hate sex. They don't want to have it, blah, blah, blah. But the boys want sex and that's the tension. But in this movie, everybody wants to get laid. So that feels very realistic. But within that, the girls want to get laid, but in a romantic way. And so Mm. there is very rarely a moment where the male characters are objectified or reduced to their sexuality. Like there's not even really many dick jokes when you get down to it, but there are a lot of bare breasts and uh, jokes about women's bodies. Yes, absolutely. And to your first point, 
the movie starts with a scene that I think does set it up for the good sort of parody that the movie has, which is mm. that it starts with the scene where Jamie is masturbating in her room and her dad and then her brother and like her entire family come in and interrupt her. And it's incredibly cringeworthy and incredibly uncomfortable to watch. But it's a direct parody of American Pie and other mm. movies like that. Because at this point, in the like 90s teen, you know, cringe humor movies, we've had multiple scenes of guys getting interrupted while masturbating. And this is, I mean, practically line for line, the same kind of scene, but it's with mm. a woman exploring her sexuality and a young woman at that. And that's kind of clever. You know, I, I appreciated seeing that because at the time, no other movie had something like that where it was a teenage girl doing something that teenage girls do and then having to deal with the awkwardness and uncomfortableness of being, you know, confronted with her parents or whatever. So, like, that was great. Yeah, it's still teen humor and it's cringeworthy and, mm -hmm. like, they go over the top with the vibrator and everything like that. But part of that's because this is an over-the-top movie. But that moment's great. And even the moment when the, um, the foreign exchange student, Ariola appears. <laughs> I can't believe they named her that appears and you know you have the first scene where she's being like welcome to the school and the principal goes to give her her school schedule and she has some comment like oh no i'm just here to be an attainable you know object of um objectification for the young boys at the school blah blah mm -hmm. blah and that's a direct parody again of american pie and of the character in that who is the exchange student who then becomes this both area of sexual desire and a sexually available character as opposed to the other local girls who are not like that. So like that moment's great, except then now that they've made this joke, she can then parade naked through every scene for the rest of the movie, which mm -hmm. at that point is no longer a commentary on American Pie. It's just a naked woman on screen. Yes, the joke is the permission. Yes. Um, but I also want to stop and do like a close reading of the fact that Janie is watching she's all that while she masturbates like that is her pornography and can we can we just take some time to unpack that you know i think there's something to be said for the fact that teenagers will turn whatever they have access to into pornography <laughs> and i don't think that's inaccurate you know like if they can get access to a sexy magazine or some actual you know porn on video or whatever they will but if they can't Whatever TV show turns them on, whatever picture in a normal magazine turns them on might be enough to do the trick. And I don't know that that's like an inaccurate description of a 15 year old. I think that's what's interesting about it, though, is it contains all that stuff. Like it contains this like, OK, sure. Yeah. Like teens definitely use these films for masturbatory material because it is a kind of fantasy about what their life could be and not what it actually <laughs> is like. Um but I also find it super interesting that the female character masturbating is masturbating to a rom-com. Right. Because that just feels like such a commentary on how heterosexual women are socialized. Um, right. But it also in some ways is like almost a joke at the filmmaker's expense of like the fact that they're making a parody essentially of She's All That and masturbating to it it's and how it's kind of a circle jerk of the same material over and over and over again. <laughs> There's some deep shit there that I can't quite wrap my brain around, but it's a lot. Suffice this to is, say it's a lot. This is definitely a masturbatory love letter to She's All That. Like that's what this movie is. So starting with a scene in which you just tell everyone what your movie is going to be, 
is, I mean, it's a bold move. Big move, big move, guys. <laughs> I also will say in a way that's not offensive or problematic, but just, I think, not as well written as it could have been. Another example of this sort of, like, they give themselves permission to go over the top with the parody, and then once they've made the joke, they keep going, and it stops being funny. Right at the start, every character who's introduced is introduced as the trope that they are. You know, like, Jake's character literally has a license plate that says, rich guy, and, like, he looks at himself, his picture on the wall, and it's like, the most popular boy in high school. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's a commentary on the fact that in these movies... As soon as you've seen one or two of them, you know who these characters are when they walk onto screen, right? Like you have no question about who the popular girl is and who the like annoying friend is versus the cool friend versus the like friend who's in love with the character. You know, he the best friend appears and he's like, oh, I spent the weekend staring at your window and making a mixtape about how much I love you. You know, right? They're like, you know, even if this isn't the line, that that's what the best friend is saying. And those are funny moments, but there's not there's nothing clever about just saying it. Yeah. You know, the cleverness of saying we're making a commentary about how obvious these roles are when they appear on screen in these kinds of genre movies. Great. But once you've made that commentary, now you're just taking cheap shots and you're saying, oh, this will be funny if we just have a scene where we're like, the cheerleaders have stolen the black girls, you know, cheers. And all of the cheers are about being black. There's the joke. Okay. This, you know, best friend is a douchebag, and every time he comes on the screen, he basically says, hi, I'm a douchebag, right? Like, it's not smart, even though it clearly has the potential to be. And so I find certainly on this rewatch that I was disappointed in the writing more often than I was actually pleased by it. Right, because as we've seen over the last month, there's so much material in these movies to make fun of. I mean, just mm -hmm. a mountain of material that, like, to have a poorly written joke that relies on humor that is outside of the film itself is just like sad. I mean, there are, there's a gold mine. I mean, 16 candles alone. Right. My God. I mean, look at how much they get just from She's All That. And that's one of like two dozen movies they directly parody. Exactly. So there's a lot of material, but it's almost like because they had so much material, they decided instead of being clever about it, they would just be like, and now we're going to parody, bring it on. And now we're going to parody, never been kissed. And it stops being funny. Yeah, and I think if you, like me, unfortunately, have seen the the genre parodies that came after this, the like, not another rom-com, not mm -hmm. another disaster movie, not another blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they eventually at a certain point just became that where it was just like, we're going to see how many references we can make. And again, mm -hmm. redoing something is not satire or parody friends. Like you gotta, you gotta add something else because unfortunately, yeah. as we've seen with all of these rom-coms that we talk about all the time, you can be self-aware of a trope. But if you're still doing the trope, you are part of the problem. Right. And this movie does that over and over and over again. And then when you feel wearied by the racism and the sexism that has just been shoved in your face, they take a brief break from that in order to talk about literal shit. <laughs> That is the best summary that I could ever conceive of for this film. The fact that the phrase take a dump on my chest 
appears multiple times in this movie, I think mm-hmm. is the best way to explain how much this movie does not know when to stop with a joke. Yeah, I have to say that uh, I, I am very rarely grateful for being in the year 2020, but watching this movie, I was like, <laughs> Jesus, at least yeah. our film and television is at a much higher level than this for the most part. We have come much farther when it comes to parody, and it doesn't mean there aren't bad parodies out there, nor does it mean there's not bad poop humor and sex humor and the teen humor out there. But I think we've we've stumbled into a little more nuance than existed at this point. Praise be to nuance. All right, Eliza, do you have any final thoughts on Not Another Teen Movie that you'd like to impart? I think Not Another Rewatch of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Perfect. This, this can Chef's be the final kiss. time I ever watch this movie. <laughs> Cheers to that. Listeners. Let this be the final time you watch this movie. Never, never, never watch this again. (laughs) All right. Okay. Let's transition. Um, Before we get to our final antidotes of the season, what? Um, We have to thank our patrons who have supported us through this first season, this, this wild project that we took on and has just blossomed into such a cool thing that we get to do with our friends and our family. And it's just been such a joy. So thank you so much, Bob. Thank you, Esther. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Trey. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, Your support means everything for real. Yes. Thank you guys. And to everyone, we're going to be off for the next month. We're going to come back in October, but we're still going to try to be active on our social media. So go follow us on Instagram and on Facebook, follow our YouTube channel. We're going to be putting more of these episodes up on there. If that's how you would like to listen to us. Uh, stick around. There may be a few little fun nuggets over the next month. Um, so keep in touch. We'll keep the conversation going. All right, Eliza. Final antidotes of the season. Are you ready? I think so. All right. What is your antidote for not another teen movie? Well, so I was trying to think of a good parody to send everyone to. And there's a lot out there. And the the 80s and the 90s did a lot of parodies. And so there's a lot out there that are good, but are also a little sort of awkward as well. So I don't necessarily want to send you to another one that's funny, but like also kind of racist. But I did think one of my favorite movies that does parody its own genre, as well as the book that goes along with it, that does parody its own genre, as well as sort of literature in general, is The Princess Bride. It is an absolutely perfect movie. I will not hear a word against it. No scene could ever be perfected in that movie. But the book is also absolutely perfect. And for anyone who has not read The Princess Bride, do yourself a favor and go read it. I feel like it's a great antidote to 2020 in general because it's just smart and funny and weird and strange and so clever. And it's unlike anything you've ever read. Go read A Princess Bride and then veg out on the couch and watch the movie. Also, love that recommendation because it is low-key super romantic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the top five kisses in the history of kisses happens in that movie. Similarly to Eliza, my antidote is also in the realm of much better parodies and satires. Um, this week, I picked up the new HBO show Lovecraft Country, and I really can't recommend it enough as an extraordinary example of a, a piece of cultural production that is rightfully critical of the genre in which it is operating 
but also managing at the same time to be very um, celebratory of the good parts of that genre. Um, uh, and it it is really, really fun, too. Like, it's a, it is a true... If you're a fan of, like, horror, weird fiction, sci-fi, Lovecraft Country is going to do it for you. And it's also going to give you a lot of deep thoughts about the racist implications of some of your favorite stories and the horror the weird horror of systemic racism. Um, mm. So check it out. It's a deeply layered uh, genre fiction with lots of great satire and parody in it for any of you big Lovecraft fans out there. Lovecraft Country on HBO. Friggin' love it. Check it out. Excellent. I know we have some Lovecraft fans among our listeners, so I'm sure they're going to go check that out if they haven't already. I mean, it's 2020. It's time for Cthulhu's reign. Am I right? Am I right? All hail. <laughs> Well, Eliza, I guess um, we'll do this again in October. How weird yeah. is that? Janelle, I'm really proud of our first season. We did it! Yay! We did it. We did Thanks it. for listening, everyone. Yeah, seriously. Thank you. Come say hi, too, because it's kind of weird that people listen to our little podcast. So if you're listening, drop us a hello. Yeah, be our friend. We like friends. We're, we're still quarantined, so if you're in a different country especially, like, Please, please, please socialize with us from the outside, from the good <laughs> tell place. Us, tell us what it's like in the rest of the world. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Eliza. Bye, Janelle. Thank you for listening to the Rom-Com Killjoys podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to support us further, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash romcomkilljoys. Our theme song is Lady Slut Hitchhike Love by the band A Giant Dog. And the song you're listening to now is a cover of one of my favorites, Baby Love by Colin Langanis. Remember, Killjoys, don't let anyone kill your joy. Not a rom-com, not me, not anyone. See you next time. Why don't you stay?